Thank you, Josh. Uh, choir, doing such a good job leading us in worship this morning. It feels weird complimenting a choir that you're a part of. But I did it. So there you have it. We're going to Hebrews chapter 1 this week. Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to be covering verses uh, 1 through 3. We've been in Hebrews for a few weeks, and we want to cap it off with these verses this morning. And these are a, a unique set of verses. And uh, b- before we get into it, I'll, I'll give you a, a doctrine that, that is part of the Christian faith. It's called the, forgive me for the big word, I'm going to teach you two words this morning. Both words I don't use. One of them I learned this week because I was studying this text. Um, perspicuity. The doctrine of the perspicuity of Scripture. And maybe that's just a fancy way of saying that the Scripture is clear. Now, what that means is not that when you open the Bible, every time you read something, you're going to easily understand what it means. The doctrine of the perspicuity of Scripture means that everything that we need to know about God and salvation is plain. So that we can share the gospel and we can sing the gospel even to young children and they can understand the message of salvation. These few verses in Hebrews are are just a wonderful example of the perspicuity of Scripture so that a young uh, mind can grasp the truths herein. But there have been volumes upon volumes upon volumes written about these few verses right here. They show us more of the, the depth and breadth of the person of Jesus Christ who is our prophet, priest, and king. One theologian, uh, Burke Parsons, basically says of the perspicuity of Scripture, not everything in Scripture is easy to understand, but what we must understand in order to be saved is clear. So no matter where you are on the spectrum of being able to understand Scripture, today's verses ought to show you Jesus. They ought to show you Jesus. One commentator, Linsky, maybe one of my favorites in recent years, he says of these few verses right here, it's as though the master organist strikes the fundamental chords of his entire composition. You know, what's, what's so neat is that even young ears can understand a beautiful chord. But the most advanced musicians will also appreciate that beautiful chord. That's what we have in these few verses. So I want to invite you to read along with me Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Hear the word of the Lord. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. 
After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful that we can understand your word today, but we realize that we don't do this as a fleshly endeavor. No natural man can understand your word, but it comes through the help of the Spirit. And so we pray, send your Spirit to illuminate our hearts and minds to the truth of the word, the light of Jesus, the glory of the eternal Son. Let us see him and be satisfied. We pray in his name, amen. So this morning, we want to wrap up seeing Jesus as prophet, priest, and king. We want to celebrate the incarnation of this eternal son. And to move into uh, explaining the text, Jesus meets our desperate need to know God and the salvation he brings. So the theme, we could say it this way, God revealed himself supremely in the Son to secure salvation. God revealed himself supremely in the Son to secure salvation. I want to give you three ways we respond to God's revelation of himself in the Son this morning. Three ways we respond to God's revelation. The first to hear from God, hear Jesus. To hear from God, hear Jesus. It says right here, long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. So the writer reminds us of the normal methods of communication throughout the history of God's people. Prophets received words from God. They communicated those words. But there's a couple of things to remember here. What they received and what they communicated was not the full revelation. In fact, he says in many, at many times and in many ways, literally, this is almost like fragments. And that's not really a, a great word here. But it's, it's the idea that, that there is something that, that is yet to be done in regard to the message that the prophets heard. It means that what they heard and what they spoke was, was in parts. And I hate to say it this way, but maybe like puzzle pieces, but it's not a puzzle to be figured out. It's just a simple puzzle to put together. But what they heard was not the fullness and it doesn't mean that something is missing. You know, like you're talking on the phone with somebody who's getting bad reception and you get every other word. No, that's not what we're talking about. We're saying God communicated to them, but he was not done communicating. And what we can say confidently, one commentator said, God spoke to every generation what each needed to know. You know, we got a lot of people, maybe even in the church, maybe even here today, there are a lot of things that you want to know, right? You want to get some answers from God about this situation or that situation. Look, I got stuff in my own life where I would love to know, God, why are you doing this? I'd love to know that answer. Tell me, tell me what I want to know. You know what he says? Hey, I've given you everything you need to know. 
You don't need any more than what I have told you. Many people are looking for a word from God, a sign from God, an answer from God, a special message from God, yet they rarely bother to open the pages of the Bible and find the complete word of God in Jesus Christ. And that's what he brings. To hear from God, hear Jesus. The revelation is complete in Jesus. So I'm not talking about stopping with the message you need or the verse of the day or whatever. I'm talking about hearing and reading and knowing personally the Lord Jesus. The revelation is complete. God revealed himself in his son. The revelation is complete, but the revelation is also embodied. This is where... This is where we can't fully comprehend what's going on, right? The revelation is embodied. God spoke to these guys, these prophets in the Old Testament, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. The word is not just some some words that proceed from the mouth of Jesus. No, he is the word. He is the Word. We read John 1 just moments ago. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that Word would be the one thing that that ties all things together, the one thing that makes everything make sense. A lot of people are looking for answers. Some of us, some people in the world are looking for those big answers, like, Like, why do I exist? What is my purpose in the world? I'm telling you that according to the Bible, that will only be found in Jesus Christ. The revelation is embodied. It says by his son. So God takes words to another level in the person of Jesus. Jesus. And what what was only a message that came through human prophets now is a person who is a supreme prophet. God's word is embodied. God's word is Jesus. Linsky says, there is no one beyond the incarnate son whom God might use for his speaking to us. Don't be looking for something else. Something more. It's only Jesus. Nothing else is needed to be said because it's all said in the person of Jesus. You know the saying that a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, I'll tell you that there are not enough words in all the languages known to mankind that could sufficiently describe the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. So we need the person. We need him to Hear from God, hear Jesus. The revelation is complete. The revelation is embodied. Secondly, to know God, know Jesus. To know God, know Jesus. Look how he's described in these verses. His last days he's spoken spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. 
He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So I'm going to give you a few descriptions that here show us that Jesus is truly God and truly man. First off, it says, essentially, he's got God's authority. You want to know about God's authority? Look at Jesus. No, Jesus says he's appointed the heir of all things. Here's how the Bible talks about this. Daniel 7, 13 and 14, Daniel's vision. I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Luke one thirty two. what does it say about this, this virgin-born Savior? He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. John 3.35, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Finally, Matthew eleven twenty seven, and hear this. This is where it comes to us very clearly. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, Jesus says. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. You know what Jesus is telling us? You cannot know God apart from me. What does he say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So if you think that there's a way to know God today or worship God or do anything pleasing in his sight today apart from Jesus, you are sorely mistaken. Jesus has the authority of God It also tells us that he has God's creative power through whom he also created the world. John 1, 3, as we heard earlier, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. I know that the reading of that is, it it, kind of sounds awkward, but it says it to me so well and so clear. Without him was not anything made that was made. He was a part of it all. So as the Bible describes Jesus here, he was at work in creating all things. This may be news to to some people. The eternal son was active in the beginning when God created everything. We read how God said, and you know who was working? the Son. The Word, as it proceeded from the Father's mouth, was was working to actively create all the world and the, the universe and all that we see and enjoy. Jesus Christ was there in the beginning with God, creating everything. It's God's creative power. It's God's authority. It's God's creative power. And then thirdly, it's God's 
glory. He is, it says, the radiance of the glory of God. Radiance. In uh, 2005, if I'm not mistaken, I presented my now wife with an engagement ring containing what they call a radiant cut diamond. A radiant cut diamond. Now, a radiant cut was created relatively recently in history. And what it does is combines the, the cuts from the emerald and the round diamond in order to maximize the brilliance. As I was reading this, I'm like, those are just wonderful words as an illustration, right? To maximize the brilliance. And that's, that's like a, a, a proper term in, in the diamond world, I suppose. I had to brush up on my diamond knowledge as I prepared to preach this week. What little diamond knowledge I've got. Brilliance. So they put these cuts together to maximize the brilliance, and that is the the bright white flashes that you see, but also the fire, what they call the fire. And that's like flashes of rainbow colors. So there's brilliance and there's fire. And you know, we have these C's to measure a diamond, don't we? Carrot, y'all know them. Carrot, color, clarity, and cut. Did I get them right? Yeah. Four C's to measure that diamond and evaluate that diamond. But here's what we learn from the scriptures. Radiance doesn't even do it justice. Radiance is not a sufficient word to describe the glory of Christ because you will not take the Lord Jesus Christ and put him under your microscope and evaluate him for what he is. He is too great for that. He is too beautiful for that. He is too radiant with the glory of God for that. And here's the second word I want to teach you today. We have perspicuity. Now we got effulgence. Y'all know that one? Y'all heard that one before? Effulgence. And so one commentator says, radiant doesn't do it. We got to take it up a level and we got to say he is the effulgence of the glory of God. What does that mean? It is radiant brilliance taken to the extreme. Stunning, dazzling, overwhelming. Is this your view of Christ? Is he that radiant to you? You know, it's this kind of effulgence that Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration, they got to get a little glimpse of that. Just a glimpse. It's it's that effulgence that, that Moses could only see a little bit of the backside of that radiant glory. Still only a glimpse. This glory unrestrained, can I be honest with you? This glory unrestrained is the kind of glory that kills a man. It's why the scripture tells us that no man can see God and live. Yet, the only God who is the Father's side, he has made him known. So what we can know about God, what can be known about the glory of God, is made manifest to us in Jesus Christ, the radiance 
of the glory of God. It's God's authority, God's creative power, it's God's glory. He's got God's nature. This says right here, he's the, he's the exact imprint. All I want to say about this is, it's not the result of an impression. It's not that, that the father did something to the son to make him something that he wasn't before. The way this talks about, about the, the imprint is that Jesus has always existed as the original from which others are imaged. So when we speak of becoming more like Christ, you know what that is? That's the lasting impact of being imprinted with Jesus. And as you grow, as you learn, as you are sanctified, that imprint becomes more clear. It becomes more reflective of the person of Jesus as we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. God's nature. He is everything that God is. Colossians 2.9, the fullness of deity dwelt bodily. God's nature. And then he also tells us he has God's sustaining power. It says right there, <clears throat> he upholds the universe by the word of his power. This is the utterance of his all-powerful nature, the utterance of his omnipotence. Colossians 1.17, in him all things hold together. So get this, all the planets, including the one you're on right now, is moving in orbit because Jesus makes it. It's moving in orbit, and it is, it is spinning because Jesus makes it spin. This is Jesus. The sun burns and shines according to Jesus' desire. And like the sparrows, your every breath, your every breath, your numbered days, your heartbeat, your heartbeat, he controls. You are absolutely dependent on him. What do we say then? To know God, know Jesus. He has God's authority, God's creative power, his glory, his nature, his sustaining power. You know what the writer is telling us? He is God. There is no denying it. He is the eternal God. And so the writer takes us immediately to the work that he did. And that brings us to our third There we go. That brings us to our third point to have salvation from God. Believe on Jesus. To have salvation from God, believe on Jesus. The final statement here in our verse 3. After making purification for sins, he sat down 
at the right hand of the majesty on high. Al Mohler notes here that the transition from who Jesus is as God to what he has done is so quick. All this that he is, this this majesty, this beauty, this, this radiance, he says immediately after making purification for sins. So he's telling us that Christ's person and his work are so tightly intertwined. The saving work that Jesus does is a part of who he is. To have salvation from God, we must believe on Jesus. We've got to recognize, as he says here, purification is needed. Purification from sins is needed. Purification really is an interesting word to summarize Christ's saving work. It it recalls, you may know, the Day of Atonement from Leviticus 16 when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle blood upon the altar, upon the uh, mercy seat, and then in the direction of the people. After sacrificing this animal, we recognize in these practices year after year for centuries that we need full atonement from sin. Not just delayed wrath or delayed punishment. We need to be set free from this condemnation that the law brings. And so we recognize our own sin in this. And according to this, Jesus made purification for those sins. As Hebrews unfolds, he laid down his life on the altar of heaven, presenting himself as the atonement for our sin. He turned away the Father's wrath from us onto himself and satisfied the just requirements of the law. Our sin, your sin, deserves death. And in his death, he made all who believe fit for the presence of God, fit for relationship with God, fit for worship. Did you know as you worship today, God does not receive it because you have just become so wonderful to him. He receives it because his son is wonderful. And when he looks upon you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ, believer. If you're not a believer today, then you recognize that he looks upon you and sees your filthy rags. You've not received the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's not been credited to you, but the work of Jesus Friend, if you believe today, is going to make you fit for eternity with him. His work purifies us. And unlike the unsuspecting young goat on the Day of Atonement, who never knew that his life would be spent on the altar of the temple or the tabernacle, the eternal son knew from before the foundation of the world that when he was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the Virgin Mary, he was on a mission that would end at the cross of Calvary and his resurrection. 
He was given this mission to accomplish, and he accomplished it. So we have purification needed, and then we have purification accomplished. It says right there, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He sat down. You know, a principle that I think my father attempted to live before us was, you don't rest until the work is done. Those of you that are familiar with hard work, you know that saying. No, you're not going to sit down. You're not going to take a break until the work is done. And you best bet that when the work was done, my dad was the first one that was going to be zonked out in his recliner for the rest of the night. He was going to rest after he worked. You know, the Bible says right here, after he accomplished his work, after he brought the purification for sins, he sat down. The work was finished. It was fully accomplished. Now I feel sorry for all the folks that may be even familiar with the gospel, but they get the idea that somehow Jesus only made salvation possible. No, Jesus actually saves. He doesn't say, oh, well, I did my part. Now you come and do yours. He doesn't say, hey, I really need to see something from you before I save you. No, he saved us in the mess of our own sin and guilt. He picked us up out of the pit that we could not get out of on our own, and he saved us. He did it. He didn't go to the right hand of the throne of God and say, now I hope something good happens. No, he said, he said, of all that the Father's, Father gives me, I will lose none of them. His saving work, his purification for sins is absolutely efficient to the full degree. He was, as we heard a few weeks ago, for a little while lower than the angels. But he returned to that status that was his before the world began. And right there, Linsky says, to be seated thus is to exercise the majesty and to do this in all its infinitude. Oh, man, this is too great for us. And one day, this Lord Jesus, one day he's going to hear from the Father that it's time. It's time for the end of all things. And the Bible says he's going to come and get us. And so we long for the day. And until that day, we will continue to pour out our sacrifice of praise we anticipate that day with great joy when we will dwell with him forever. You want to hear from God, you need to hear Jesus. If you want to know God, you need to know Jesus. And if you want the salvation that he offers, 
We must believe on Jesus. So I would ask you, will you come under his perfect reign willingly today? Will you stop groping in the dark for understanding of the world or your own existence or whatever? Will you know him today? Repent, surrender your life to him in faith, and the Bible says you will be saved. You will be saved. Believe on him. If that's you today, I want to invite you to tell me, to tell us, and let us celebrate that together. Let's pray and respond to God's word. Father, we do acknowledge our utter dependence on you. Thank you that you have given us not only breath and life today, but also you have put us in the hearing of your word. 